Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We also invite you to subscribe to our feed. You get new episodes delivered right to you via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Or you can head to nationalreview.com. Click the podcast link. You'll find us and all the other fine National Review podcasts. Listen, enjoy, share, and leave reviews for Political Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Well, you thought we were gone, and now we've come back again. You know, last week it was funny, but now the joke's wearing thin. As everybody knows now that every episode will be Political Beats' last episode in town. Seems like every single episode we do one of those jokes, man. Six, seven <sighs> times. My goodness. Uh, find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD. And our guest for today's episode, uh, he is a senior writer for National Review. I don't know how we were able to book him with, uh, with that uh, connection. Also author of the brand new book, My Father Left Me Ireland, which is available now. Find it at fine bookstores and Amazon and elsewhere. Find him on and Twitter. It, and it's excellent, I have to point out. I just got my copy delivered yesterday from Amazon. It's wonderful. It really is. Uh, find him on Twitter. At Michael BD, Michael Brendan Doherty. Michael, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've been waiting to do this. I've been I've been excited for this. <laughs> Fantastic. So as we begin, we like to allow our guests to tell us a bit about themselves. First, of course, tell us about the, the book, which is just out, but also please inform us uh, how you became involved in the uh, political uh, journalism ecosystem and how you arrived to where you are today. Sure. Well, I'll start with the book. The book, My Father Left Me Ireland, is a book. It's structured as letters to my Irish father, who was absent through my childhood and lived in Ireland. And I I basically described to him what it was like to grow up without him or to see, see him only every few years. And the, the mysterious way my mother tried to link me to Ireland itself and the book is really about this connection between broken homes and broken nations. So you can read it on one level as just this, this uh, you know, heart-stirring tale of familial longing uh, and, and desire. Uh, but it, for those who have uh, ears to hear, it's also basically about where we are now in history and, um, you know, about, about this rise of nationalism in the West and what I think is causing it. And, um, yeah, it, grab it at fine bookstores everywhere. <laughs> um, as for myself, uh, how did I come to be in politics? Uh, really, I just wanted to avoid law school. And so far, it's been really successful. <laughs> um, Some of us weren't so lucky, but there you go. <laughs> I was, I, I, I was, you know, um, getting towards the end of my college, uh, my undergraduate degree, which, I, by the way, I never finished. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, maybe I should go to law school or something like that. And all of my friends who were just out of law school and entering the profession said, don't do it. It's miserable. Um, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. There's no jobs. Do something else. And so I started writing um, about politics. This would have been 2004, 2005. I was... Um, I was a conservative, and, but I was against the Iraq war. And so I, I pretty quickly stood out uh, after I was contributing to some free websites like America's Future Foundation uh, to the editors at the American Conservative. 
And I found a way to get on the staff there and write an article every two weeks. And, um, you know, they taught me the, the ropes of the business. And from there, I've, I've bounced around a bit. I've been to Business Insider as politics editor briefly in 2012 to the week in uh, 2013. And then uh, I think I've found a, a long-term home at National Review since uh, 2017. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be there. Um, I've done some other writing on the side, like I, I've contributed to New York Times Magazine and ESPN Magazine, um, some more featurey writing. Uh, but that's that's kind of where I am today, uh, uh, a hack that is <laughs> making good on the promise to something in, in two hardbound covers. <laughs> uh, and here on Political Beats today, we discuss the uh, the chosen band artist of Michael Brendan Doherty. And if you've clicked on the link, you already know, but uh, I'll tell you now. Band out of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, there are only three of them, though the name is Ben Folds Five, and we'll of course discuss some of Ben Folds' solo career as well during the episode. But first, we turn the floor back to Michael to explain why you love Ben Folds Five, how you got into them, discover them, and why other people should care. Well, you know, um, why did I like them? Um, maybe it's not the most flattering description, but I was a a nerd and a callow teenager and Ben Folds five was making music expressly for me. Uh, <laughs> it felt like, um, you know, you had basically this band that was a, a 1990s power trio, mm -hmm. but instead of a, you know, Kurt Cobain thrashing through a Marshall stack, you had, you know, a, a Ben Folds playing a, a Baldwin piano through a Marshall stack, and um, and so something about the, the the musicality, the the combination of Tin Pan Alley uh, riffs with jazz riffs, with just thrashing about like a punk band, just innately appealed to me. In the nineteen nineties, it, it kind of it stuck out from everything else around it. Um, I think. You know, a friend recommended them to me just after whatever and ever Amen came out. And I was slow to pick up the album at the Borders bookstore. But when I did, I just immediately uh, fell in love. And um, yeah, it just appealed to this innate wise ass in every teenager. And, and, and then, of course, there's not just the wise ass songs that you play in... Um, you know, to show off to your friends, but the, the, the songs in between them on the album were lush, great, just the, a level of composition that wasn't available in a lot of top 40 radio then. Um, you know, my good story about Ben Folds 5 was that um, the first time I went to see them live was in 1999, uh, the best year ever, 20 years ago, <laughs> almost to the day. They were playing it at Summer Stage in Grand uh, in Central Park in New York, and um, I went with a bunch of my friends. We were thrilled to go. We were right in the front row, and Benfold's Five was really at this incredible performance peak at this time. They they were just like they looked like demons on stage in, in a way, and they they were accompanied that night with a string section, a horn section, and. 
I had this insane crush on this girl um, from my high school who was graduating that year, and she couldn't come because it was awards night. And, um, you know, this was like a big disappointment because I was like going to try to make the moves on her at the <laughs> concert. Uh, and so she wasn't there. She was really upset about not going and, and had to go to her, her awards night ceremony. So what I did was at the end of the show, I left a book I'd been carrying around all day on the stage. And then after the show was over, my friends were like exulting in this concert. I went up to security and said, oh, I have to get back in. I left a book on the stage. <laughs> and they said, oh, sure, that's fine. So I immediately just went in. And then I just got my book, which was right where I left it. And I walked backstage and my philosophy at 17 years old was just act like you're supposed to be there. And then I had this other philosophy of, okay, I'm going to approach these guys in the band. And instead of everyone else who goes up to them, like every fan goes up to them and just says, Oh my God. Oh my God. I love you so much. I said, I'm just going to say, Hey, can you do me a favor? Because, you know, rock stars don't get asked that by their fans. <laughs> that. And, it, it, and it totally worked. It got their attention. So I told them the story of this girl that I was totally into. And she couldn't come and she was really upset. But, you know, I hadn't closed the deal with her. So they wrote notes in this book to her. And I'll, I'll read them out. Um, so Robert Sledge wrote... I love Michael. He's a really good kisser. But he's all now. <laughs> and then Darren Jesse wrote uh, to this woman, Marissa, listen to me now. I saw Mike for the first time and we made eye contact and it was electric. So if you don't take him now, I will. <laughs> and then Ben Gold wrote, Michael is a f***ing catch. Don't f*** up. Marry him now or perish in the fire of hell. Love, Ben Folds. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and she's my wife now. So. <laughs> That's the best ending of the story possible. That is literally the greatest, the greatest <laughs> how I met my wife story I've ever heard on this show or any show for that matter. That's wonderful. <laughs> so it totally worked. <laughs> <laughs> daring from a 17 year old kid with a crush and 20 years later we have three kids and um yeah so of course i have this like lifelong connection to this band now and and ever since like ever after that experience i just kept finding ways to sneak backstage throughout the rest of their touring career i would just i would literally just go around to the back of venues grab catering trays and just start walking <laughs> backstage and hanging out um these were glorious times so what these other were, favors did you did you ask for 
<laughs> no other no other big favors you know signing this or that or i would just chat with them about whatever like i every time i ended up talking to robert sledge the bassist about either some you know synthesizer he got from europe or about computers or whatever uh darren darren was harder to talk to because he you know after the show he would um he would smoke up and and uh make himself unavailable <laughs> um yeah we had a good time and actually you know one other little story we went and we saw them perform on like an oxygen network daytime television show and my best friend tommy who was eventually my best man at my wedding he got um called up onto the stage when darren jesse wigged out during the interview and to sit in as darren jesse for the rest of the interview uh, <laughs> and, and they like mic'd him up and just pretended that he was darren while darren effed off somewhere else is this on youtube somewhere i hope I, we haven't found it on youtube but oh, it is man. it is genius but the thing is <laughs> so the interviewer right who might have gone on to MV, in mtv later you know she started asking these interview questions of my friend as if you were part of the band and you know oh so what do you like to do in the morning like what's your routine he's like oh i like to shower oh do you <laughs> sing in the shower and he said and remember this is 1999 he said you ever see the opening scene in um american beauty <laughs> which is just we were foul 20 20 year olds at this point and um it was just brilliant. So they were a blast, and um, I'm eternally, eternally grateful for them. Uh, when they reunited some years later, I, like I told them the story, I snuck backstage, and <laughs> they were pretty, uh, thrilled. All right, Scott, now top that story. I can't. I, that, that's the. That we're never going to have a better story than that on the show, are we? I can't. I can't fathom. Not a I, mean, I, could, I could send you like a. Um, picture proof of the of the signatures <laughs> I, would, I would love to see the scans of that yeah that would be hilarious yeah they're um we have, <laughs> yeah they're, the book was mere christianity by c.s lewis that's so. even better for some reason <laughs> you, can, you can tell and some weirdo backstage said that nicole kidman was really into that as well but tom cruise wasn't happy <laughs> so that makes already sense. Trouble in paradise there you go <laughs> all right scott now what about your experience well i um i the first time I heard Ben Folds Five, and I guess I'm I'm an early adopter. Uh, it, it, they my the college radio station in my town, near my town, which I ended up going to and working for after the fact. But this is while I was still in high school. They were playing Uncle Walter as a single from the debut album, and that I mean that song was not being played in uh, you know on on regular radio track or regular radio stations. And so I heard Uncle Walter for the first time on the co- college radio station, and I, and I really dug it.
don't know if I got that album before. I know I don't think I did before whatever and ever amen. But I remember liking the band quite a bit, and so I think when they broke a little bigger with whatever and ever amen is when I when I actually started buying albums. I distinctly remember buying whatever and ever amen. It was my freshman year in college. Uh, it was a rainy day. I had to bring an umbrella and I walked down to the Busy Bee compact disc, uh, used compact disc store, which is just off campus. And I got two albums that day. I got Whatever and Ever Amen, and I got Pearl Jam's Yield. So not a bad day at the you know the used CD store, I suppose. Uh, both of those are still among my really all time favorite albums. I love both of them. So I, I, I got Whatever and Ever Amen, and loved it from the start. I mean, it's one of those albums that I still carry very close to me at, at all times. Uh, Reinhold Messner came out. I actually purchased uh, via eBay a giant uh, UK subway print. So it's a five foot by three foot uh, poster of, of uh, unauthorized yeah. biography of Reinhold Messner. It's still in my basement. I have not figured out what... I, it was up in the dorm room, but I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with in my house right now. So it's, it's in storage at the moment. Uh, I, I attended their last north american show before the first breakup they played Summerfest in milwaukee and if my recollection is correct that was their last north american show before the breakup they played a few shows overseas after that so i saw them play there something about their style you know the 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 caustic sly too cool for school and yet also bitter at times uh lyrics and delivery of ben folds worked perfectly that that combination of fuzz bass drum piano um when 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 they broke up and we'll get to this in a bit but i i I don't hold his solo work in the same esteem as i do the 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 group work but those first three albums and i guess you know naked baby photos too which is which is uh kind of a a live outtake compilation um all those albums are are just essential to me and I, I was telling my wife some years ago when I was uh, in a Ben Folds 5 swing that his music the, the music of that band really fills a part of my musical soul that nothing else really does uh, mm. before or since and it's it's just that that combination of you know Ben's lyrics and the music of that band just fits that whole perfectly uh, and every time I go back and listen, it, it does again. And in preparation for this episode, uh, going back and listening, it did it again. Uh, I have just brings back a flood of memories because so much of my college time is tied up in Ben Folds 5 music. And so uh, I'm interested to hear Jeff's take on Ben Folds 5 and Ben Folds because he's he's essentially new. And I want to know how much of my... My, my deep love for the band and the music is, is based upon, again, these, these good memories and good times in college and how much of it holds up. I think it holds up, but a fresh set of ears is going to be an interesting take. Um, All right. Have- well, let me tell you this. You know, you guys, you both had some pretty good stories about how you got into Ben Folds, but I'm about to top you both. The first time I ever heard Ben Folds 5 was two weeks ago when we booked this show. Oh, wow. man. So, so there you go. Beat that. Beat that for an emotionally resonant, you know, you know, connection to a very great group. Uh, of course, I'd always known of their existence. I remember seeing the posters for Reinhold Messner in every music store that I went into when I was in uh, college. Um, but they'd always just been one of those groups that had passed me by. And I'm actually grateful for it now because I don't know how messed up my mind and personality would have gotten had I discovered these 
these people when I was in high school and when I was in college. I would have ended up probably being a very angry and confused kid to find out that there was somebody who basically had already stolen every idea that I'd ever had musically and turned it into an extremely successful band. Because it's almost it's incredibly bracing for me to hear uh, Ben Folds to me uh, prior to this moment prior to you know I started listening to these albums and it's it's a discography that's really easy to throw your arms around to there's only four original albums plus an outtakes you know a CD and then if you want to get into a solo career that's sort of something that sits off to the side so it's not hard to get into them but w- what I'm 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 stunned by is uh, how it's basically like the cabaret version of Soft Machine, all right? Which is Soft Machine was just prog band from the late '60s and early '70s. It's the same idea. It's a power trio, which is based not around a guitar, bass, and drums, but rather a piano, bass, and drums. And it has the same idea in a way. This means it's not as weirdly progressive, although he does have a lot of progressive ideas as a, as a composer. But it gets by that lack of guitar by having this absolutely thudding bass sound that almost mm-hmm. sounds guitar-like in a lot of ways. Um, it, it, but the thing about Folds' influences as a, as a pianist, which of course is what I was, um, I are just, you know, it's it's everything that I always liked as I was a kid and as I was teaching myself to play and compose music. It's Elton John mixed in, and this is, you know, probably going to make some people groan, but I swear to God, it's true. He's got a lot of Bruce Horns being there, too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yes, yes. Everything's heavy Yeah, he has very Bruce Hornsby-like sound. And then, of course, composing-wise, you know, he isn't just a fan of, like, you know, the normal rock balladry and, you know, sort of what we consider rock staples in terms of the way pianos are deployed. But he's also a big fan of, as Michael mentioned, Tin Pan Alley, straight up Broadway. You know, lots of, I mean, there are songs on some of these records that I just literally, I, in my notes, I'm like, I say, come on, this is a show tune. This is, this is practically <laughs> yeah. a show tune. It's just show tune with the F word in it. So, like, you know, that's that's an interesting combination of things and and the other thing about about ben folds five is and i know michael and i were talking about this uh back when we decided we would book the show uh, is that michael made this point that i completely agree with which is that it's just amazing how much only these three musicians can fill a soundscape Mm -hmm. they can fill a room there is no guitar on this there, there aren't. It's not. It's not a quartet. It's just three guys, and yet they play with such power and with such command that it never feels like the ensemble is missing a piece in any way. I don't. I don't mind. And eventually, I even cease noticing the lack of guitar on these songs. I think it was treated as a gimmick. The first album was treated somewhat gimmicky because they're like, "Oh, here's a rock group that doesn't have any guitars. Isn't that crazy?" I don't know. It actually sounds quite natural, and it works really well. So, uh, yeah, I have had such 
fun discovering these albums. I think uh, one of them in particular is 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 probably going to end up over time becoming one of my favorite albums from this era. And it's kind of just sort of appalling and, of course, inevitable that I didn't know about it. I was the guy who didn't know anything about the old 97s before we did that show. And now they're one of my favorite country, alt-country bands. Um, so that's one of the reasons I just I, I love our podcast, because it's not only an excuse <laughs> for me to discourse about the bands that I love, but also to discover artists that I'd always maybe known of, but I'd never actually known or never actually heard. And boy, you got to say, Ben Folds 5, for all the criticisms that they took you know, in their time for being too snarky and being too like you know, you know hipster or juvenile or anything like that uh, this stuff lasts this stuff really is it holds up like it doesn't sound dated at all it doesn't sound of its time it doesn't sound like Candlebox or you know or bush <laughs> or something that you're not going to want to come back to 20 years from now it, it, it's still just as good in 2019 as it was in 1997 as a uh, as a piano player, and we all have blind spots. We made you watch the Blues Brothers recently, so that's that's one off the movie uh, blind spot. One of my blind spots we're going to do soon is Randy Newman on yes. the show. How much uh, I see it referenced in in in, uh, in uh, comparison to Ben Folds. How much Randy Newman do you hear in Ben Folds? I hear some of it, but I don't hear nearly as much as I hear uh, when he's doing his sort of stomping piano. You know, stomping clomp like the opening of say Jackson Cannery. Mm-hmm. That's straight up Elton John. Okay, yep. uh, and then you know when he's doing or philosophy would be another great example of that. Um, uh, but when he goes into some of the more delicate sort of arpeggiated stuff, that's uh, that's much more along the lines of Bruce Hornsby, Randy Newman's piano style it was very much driven by his compositional talents of course randy newman also did a lot of soundtracks and he worked with strings ben folds would obviously be bringing strings into these songs later on in their career too but his piano playing is is tinged by two things that sort of new orleans you know uh, barrel house style which you know leads to stuff like you can leave your hat on and then also the uh the this much more sort of classical compositional approach that you hear on songs like sail away mm-hmm. or the stuff that he would do you know, end up doing on all the various soundtrack works that he did uh so there, there's there's definitely i have no doubt that somebody like ben Foles is spent a lot of time listening to randy newman <laughs> um maybe if, if, if nothing else just to absorb some of the sardonicism yeah. that you know you end up finding in you know ben Foles's lyrics but i don't i don't think of them as you know you know truly akin i was writing the list of influences and i didn't put his name down hmm. Uh, so let's let's dive into it. Let's get to the actual music itself. Ben Folds Five again. Only three members has has been mentioned. Ben Folds on piano and keyboards and mostly piano. Robert Sledge on the bass and Darren Jesse on drums. That's it. And we have to, by the way, point out the reason they chose that name. It was literally just because it, it sounds, sounded better than saying right. the Ben Folds Three. <laughs> you know, you yep. you wanted to get that alliteration, Ben Folds Five, and I get it. Yeah, it, works it, well. it does sound better. Yep. So the the debut album released in in 1995 self-titled Ben Folds had been kicking around in a couple of bands in the Chapel Hill area before the three of these guys got together in uh, in 1993 first album uh, in 1995 self-titled it did have some college radio success as as I mentioned not just with Uncle Walter but with songs like Underground and, and others I want to throw it back to our guest Michael Brendan Doherty to begin the conversation on this debut Michael yeah so you know, Ben Folds 5, the self-titled album, you know, really leans in heavily to that barrel house style that Jeff mentioned and um, and, and a little bit of the Tin Pan Alley 
style. So like it opens with two of two kind of mainstays of their touring life, which were Jackson Cannery and philosophy. And it's like right away, you know, uh, Ben not only has chops as a piano player, especially uh, shown off in philosophy, but that um, he wants to play it in the same spirit, I think, at the time that a lot of, you know, grunge artists were attacking their guitars. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they, the, the, the lore of the band is a lot about how, about touring with this giant, you know, Baldwin piano and having to <laughs> wheel it into punk clubs uh, and then trying to, like, fill up the sound and impress the audience, which was wondering why is there, you know, uh, a, you know, a Billy Joel wannabe uh, up on stage. And Jackson Cannery also has, um, you know, if, if that's your first introduction to the band, you get a little bit of some of Ben Fold's, um, you know, his his lyrical chops, mm-hmm. um, you know, because he's... Um, let me just try to remember. She, uh, he's um, talking about the um, you know the seconds pass slowly and the years go flying by. Um, in the first couple of lines of, of of lyrics, and so okay, you just get this immediate sense of okay, we have a real songwriter in command, and um, yeah, the, the 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 track just rocks, especially um, especially live. I think. I thought it also belies uh, Ben Folds' reputation as being a snarky wise ass. This is like a, actually kind of, if you read the lyrics, this is a pretty moving song. It's about a guy who's like, you know, he's working a dead end job and yeah. he always talks, you know, like my big brother got the keys and I got sent to Jackson Cannery, basically. You know, what is this? It's a stop the bus. I want to be lonely. Stop the bus. I've got to get off of this, basically get off this roundabout. And then he, he was, he talking about like his wife, all she wants is food on the table but I won't be able to bring it home because I'm quitting this dead-end job and I'm getting out of here. It's very much not like, you know, Song for the Dumped or anything like that <laughs> where it's, you know, like sort of funny and somewhat jokey lyrics. It's a, actually, I think, a, you know, a pretty powerful sentiment and, of course, a great way to open a career. So, you know, it's funny, people talk about this, they have this wise-ass reputation, but in, in a way, sometimes it's almost as if they um, they put that out front uh, in order to guard themselves against maybe a, a critique that, you know, when you really scratch the surface, there's 
a lot of sentiment and and a lot of Broadway, a lot of show tune influence, a lot of you know even some of the seventies like the Carpenters or you know. Um, it's fine. There's a phone ringing in the background, which actually happens on one of their recordings too, uh, <laughs> which we could get to later. Um, you know, they have um, they, they have this well of sentiment, this well of um, of um, I don't know, passion, heart on their sleeve in many of the songs that weren't singles. Mm-hmm. So I do think that the 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 stylistic presentation that they made in a song like this or, you know, in their live performances was a way of kind of guarding against looking like, you know, a 1970s, uh, ad- you know, adult contemporary act that snuck onto to the stage at a punk club. It's, I, I you know, Dan McLaughlin did Petty with us on the show and we'll be back. Had, had mentioned via Twitter, you know, he always, he never really got into Ben Folds 5 because of, 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 of the songs that were, uh, somewhat well-known, all have that sort of caustic edge to them. They, they don't have that sentimentality. And, and in a way, I can't I can't blame him or others because, yeah, I mean, the singles were, you know, the ones that were pushed did have that attitude. And as Michael said, maybe it was a bit of a protection against some of the, the soft underbelly that lied inside the albums. But, you know, if you get to Underground and then Song for the Dump, which is pretty well-known, and even Army. And my nose ring. Yeah, I mean, those are so... I, so I don't blame people, but... but to dig in and to appreciate what the the band was doing is insanely rewarding. I mean, on this on this debut, the best songs on this debut, in my opinion, are ones that that possibly many many people have never heard of. I mean, uh, 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 Uncle Walter and, and uh, Underground and Philosophy are great, but when you dig a little deeper, and there's a few I want to highlight. I mean, Alice Childress is yeah, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, fantastic piece of work. It leaps to another level. Uh, the album does with Alice Childress. Um, I guess his his first wife, Ben Foles, has been married now four times. Divorced yeah, four something times? like that. So we'll talk a lot about ex-wives here in this show. Uh, his first ex-wife wrote lyrics for this song and meant them as like a bad Ben Folds parody. Like here's how I would here's here's the bad cliches you you sort of run into. Folds took them and sort of replaced most, if not all of them, eventually into Alice Childress. And it's uh, it's probably one of the first character songs. Um, there are many many many. One of the albums I think has half the tracks named after someone. Uh, Alice Childress is a story about this couple breaking up mainly because they just have different views about how the world works and 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 how they exist in the world it's a perfect match of emotion and these these conversational lyrics ben folds is very very good at not being overly dramatic saying simple things in very plain ways which in in which actually helps to make it more affecting i think to the listener and and it, it starts here on uh with alice childress um it's you know the, the the music the way the music fades after the the bridge the uh, an arranged marriage is not so good. It's like this big exhale after that line and it drops out. It just folds in the piano. That is just fantastic.
it's you You know your timing is impeccable And I'm not fooling you I don't know what to do Some do just knock me cold and left me on the sidewalk Took There are two songs back-to-back that I think are just breathtakingly good. At least one of them uh, is in my top five and might be the best thing they ever did. Video, I think, is a great song. And video, I hear actually more of Billy Joel uh, in the way that that one's played. Summer Highland Falls, stuff like that. Very Billy Joel-type song. And it's a sad song. It's kind of an upbeat melody, but, you know, it's it's folds looking for this earlier time, uh, more innocent time, or at least looking back and saying, you know, why did things that mattered so much then matter so much they, they were nothing um and the friends you hung out with um what's I, I i've seen i've seen some old friends sort of die or just turn into whatever must have been inside them whatever all of us had in common grew up and left home we don't think that way no more um you know leaving those things behind in the past and a good thing bad thing and the very next track i i think could be the best one they've ever done the last polka toward the end of this self-titled album is I think just an amazing track, front to back, in virtually every way. There are so many things to pick apart here. Um, the, the the lyrics tell the story of, of, it's not the collapse of a marriage or relationship. The relationship is done. And so it's like, what happens when you're still together, even when everyone knows it's over? Uh, and it starts with these like dissident chords and a bit of chaos before the melody kicks in. It's a perfect introduction to the song. Um the yeah, the chorus, the end is growing near, and we're treading water now, holding back our tears, the day is rising, we're sinking, sha la 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 la. And I love that that last part because it's you know, usually it's an upbeat, sort of carefree, sha la 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 la. And in this case, I think it's it, you know, it's masking uh what's happening inside of, of this relationship. Uh, the mask yeah. on, on those bad times. You get this great piano solo, an amazing piano solo from from Folds. And then the, the, the real climax here is the last two verses, which is this back and forth between the, the woman and the man. Yeah, and the, you, the lyrics here, I just want to interject, oh, are just the best. Like, she yes. said, you've been pushing me like I was a sore tooth. You can't respect me because I've done so much for you. He it's, said, well, I hate that it's come to this, but baby, I was doing fine. How do you think that I survived the other 25 before you? Yes. It's like, that is great <laughs> punch in the gut. And you have this really driving bass underneath, um, you know, Robert Sledge is, is playing a real, an actual polka style bass underneath, mm-hmm. which you feel like that should not work <laughs> in a song like this. And it just does. It's this motor underneath. Yeah, and and that's the that's the final you know line from a from a from a verse is how do you think I survived the other twenty five before you? It's a great little 
punch. And then at the end, you have this kind of, again, back to the kind of this polka, almost umpa beat, this slow march, which again is a reflection of the lyrics, this, this march of the dissolving relationship. Lyrically, melodically, uh, everything is so perfect. I think it's one of the more powerful uh, and, and best arranged songs they ever did. She said, you've been pushing me like I was a sword too. songs I mentioned, and Jeff will probably have other favorites, there's probably a large portion of even Ben Folds 5 song fans that aren't super fans that don't know how good these things are. They're all buried in the album, but this is an album from start to finish that works insanely well. No, I would actually say, ironically, that it's the song right after that that might be the best song on the album, Boxing, which is, uh, again, I'm in my notes, you know, the first time I listened to it, I literally wrote, like, come on, this is a show tune. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that, but can we all just admit this is old school Broadway? But, again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's such a beautiful song, and the lyric is, again, it completely belies, you know, any rep- superficiality that has sort of attached itself to Folds' reputation as a lyricist. That opening line is just perfect. It's, Howard, the strangest things have happened lately. When, when I take a good swing at all my dreams, they pivot and slip, and I drop my fists back, and then they're laughing. Um, you know, this is almost like you know, a a different take on Simon and Garfunkel's The Boxer, right? You know, um, boxing's been good to me, but now I'm told I'm growing old. Uh, I I love that song. I love the, you know, they actually, I think, bring in strings for this one. And uh, yeah, it it just sort of sits there quietly at the end of the album. And uh, I've never, you know, nobody ever pushed this one on me when they said you should get into Ben Folds. I do want to say one thing on behalf of some of the more popular songs on this record. I think Underground, yeah, you know, it's a bit too cabaret silly for my tastes you know uh, I, but it does have that one beautiful part where it's like it's the morning now it's the evening it's yes, everything that's the best i really love that but uh, and the piano led coda i think is actually the best part of the song uh, but the, but the other hit that i really think actually earns every bit of its reputation is philosophy that's wonderful it's either that one or boxing that are the best on this album in my opinion because you know maybe the only the chorus lets it down even the slightest bit just because i, I think of those slightly silly off-key backing vocals and and I kind of wonder, like, you know, for a guy who cared so much about, like, backing vocals and even diff- he even did a flipping acapella album later on with, like, yeah. acapella groups from around the country, which is, like, a hilarious oddity in the Ben Folds discography. I'm, so, I'm sort of surprised that philosophy is so weedy in terms of the way that the rest of the guys sound on it. Maybe they hadn't found their voices or their desire. Maybe they were arranging it that way on purpose. But philosophy is a great song and, and a pretty solid lyric, too. I do like that, you know. You go go ahead and laugh all you want, but I got my philosophy. You know, it keeps me on the ground. Won't you look up at the skyline, at the mortar blocking glass, and check out the reflections in my eyes? You see, they always used to be there, even when this always grass. 
And I sang and danced about a high rise And you were laughing at my helmet hat great piece um again there's the, the thing that i kept finding about these albums when i would listen to them is that i never f i thought there really aren't any bad songs on them there are ones that i find to be a little bit too you know, maybe kitschy or cloying i don't uh, love i don't love sports and wine like sports and wine maybe is the one. one week song on this record uh but there are other like anonymous ones like where's summer be i mean the the uh, maybe the biggest weakness of some of these songs is like on where's summer you, you feel like the remarkable musical track put down by the band is let down even just a little bit by some carelessness in terms of the melody writing, but it still gets by anyways, just on the force of that trio's performance. Yeah, I actually, I'll speak up for where summer be. I think that is, um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the memories of this song. It's a song I actually taught myself to play on the piano and sang with friends. It, it, it's pretty simple. Uh, and, until the you know final flourishes, and I don't know. It's just like a, a perfect song to do as I was doing, which is driving my mother's beat up uh, 1992 Saturn SL2 with a leaky sunroof, you know, to my girlfriend's place in in the summer, and just uh, I don't know. There was there's just a kind of easy joy to um, the hook in that in that song, and what's funny is. Um, it's almost certainly the hook in that song was written by Darren Jesse, mm -hmm. who uh, tends to write the, the, I don't know, the most attractive and compelling hooks um, that are that are in this discography, <laughs> uh, or at least the ones that sound like hits. left they want to say about that first album before we move on to the uh the next one which i am uh i'm just so hugely impressed by that i want to spend a lot of time talking about i think we can move on all right well the next album is the second ben fold fives album uh is called whatever and ever amen and i really like the first album scott you know laid all this music on me you know when we were about to study up for this and i thought well this first album that's really good i can see some flaws here i got some things i'd criticize about it but no oh, very solid 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 record and then i heard whatever and ever amen and i was blown away and i've listened to it several times since then and i still continue to be blown away this is one of those great masterpieces that was there all along it wasn't exactly unknown but i just missed it i missed it completely and I finally, you know, 
30 years after the fact, came back around to it again. <laughs> and I am so grateful that I finally heard this record because there isn't a single thing on it that I don't like. Not once, not even the one where he wishes that he was Kate. I like every song on this record. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like, uh, you know, I like Kate. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's not the deepest song. It's a great, like a sing-along song. I love those piano chords that, that form the back backbone it's not the best track but i i i smile when it begins and what else do you want from a from a song in the middle of an album right uh so whatever and ever amen as i mentioned i bought this at a used cd store took it home it was not due to the single now if people know a ben folds five song it might be brick which is on this album and i don't i mean i don't really have so much to say about brick people know what it is and there's so much more on this uh album look um I know Jeff wants to talk about Selfless, Cold, and Compose, but I would be remiss to not mention it. It's the best song on the album. It is one of the best in their entire catalog. The full ambition of, I think, what what was pictured in Ben Fold's mind comes to fruition on Selfless, Cold, and Compose. It's a big track. It has these jazzy flourishes. There's this wonderful bass line from uh, Sludge behind the, the easy-to-be-easy-and-free part. Um... The, the, the piano part is fairly complex. The strings are introduced on "Selfless Cold," and and the and the theme of the lyrics here is is a, a breakup. As as look, there are many Benfold songs about breakups, but in this one, the other the other person is is selfless, cold, and composed. They are not they're not mad. They're not angry. They're not anything. And so it's from the perspective of come on, we this had to have meant something. Cry yeah. or smile or punch me. G give me a right to the chin as the lyrics go. Um, it's just it's just. Uh, outstanding and I guess Folds had, had mentioned it's actually reversed in that he had an ex-wife or ex-girlfriend break up with him and say this about him and so he tried to turn it around and write it from that perspective Selfless Cold just comes right, I think it's what, track five? And it just anchors that album so, so well. Um, this, this song, I, I want to jump in here. Yep. Like, you know, uh, it would be like, whatever, five years later until you got like uh, Beck put out Sea Change, like a whole yes. breakup yes. album. Yeah. You know, a whole breakup album that was like lush and thankfully actually came out after i got back together with the aforementioned marissa uh, <laughs> after a short breakup otherwise you know if, if i'd listened to that album while i was broken up i just would have stayed broken up it was too beautiful but this one song 
it like it is just a ton of bricks. If you've if you've turned on Ben Folds because you want to hear a song for the dumped, you could easily just start you know wandering around your your room or your apartment and almost miss this song. If you're like, oh, I'm here for the Barrel House piano, I'm here for him kicking a piano <laughs> and the fuzz bass, but. Once you like actually tune your ant- antenna into this, it, this is one of the most gorgeous, lush breakup songs of the decade. It has to be. I mean, um, it's the best song in the Ben Folds Five entire career, in my opinion. Ooh. It's also tellingly the longest song they ever recorded. I think you know. What can I say about it? Uh, in its own quiet, it's damning. I think too often to call a rock song tasteful but damn it that's what i love about this song <laughs> everything is so perfectly deployed the jazzy piano and then the strings and then again you're right it, it's it's a, it's an agonized breakup song for once there's that complete lack of that ha 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 we're joking face pulling antic yeah. it's just so uh, almost cruelly beautiful and it builds to this final swirling climax and it comes to a fully considered and i said uh, yeah I, I really do i would say you know me the the guy who found them out just two weeks ago so obviously take what i say with grand <laughs> You know, they, I think Ben Folds has said in interviews since that they were he was really proud of this track in particular, um, you know, despite some of the, you know, there, there are flaws, I think, on the production of this CD. The, there was, this came at a time when producers were really infatuated with this ultra clean style of production that I, I don't know if it right. served the band extremely well on these first two albums. But this song just slays about this album is that they recorded it live living in i mean this is this is not like uh, a full-on stevie wonder style 1970s ultra large studio production Mm -hmm. this is these guys organizing microphones in a room you know in 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 chapel hill and to produce this uh out of that slightly punk diy spirit in which they recorded these albums i think it's just it's outstanding it 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 really i mean you say it's tasteful but it it's so tasteful it it bangs i think (laughs) well i mean it's also evidence of the fact that you know that that 
that, that this group was capable of artistic evolution. So like you, you hear whatever, never an amen. And it's actually, they're doing a different thing than they did on the debut album. The debut mm-hmm. album was very much some sort of combination as I said, you know, Elton John and show tunes and cabaret and all those sorts of, you know, influences. But this is where all these jazz influences start creeping in. And those that actually really kind of come to define a lot of what Ben Folds did both in his, uh, with the band and also in a solo career after this point smoke is another great example of that that's smoke's melody is i don't love smoke i mean it's it's a it's a good track but it's not one of my favorites in the album but smoke's melody pops in my head at the strangest times it does not leave so i love i love the melodica that he's playing on that uh, which is like you know sort of like a like a, a, a sort of an ersatz harmonica and then has that jazzy shuffle beat it's in waltz time you know and, and you you hear him branching out as a songwriter and an arranger the band is 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 doing something completely different on this one than they did on the first one while still basically being the same group and i love i love that song too i love a bunch of songs on this one things you could call out right like you know it wouldn't i'm just thinking of the song right now steven's last night in town which is you know it's back to a little bit of the joke pulling style but all of a sudden you know darren jesse is playing the the toms like like you know buddy rich or like some like a jazz player um and so you have this virtuosity that Dude, and there's like a dixieland jazz band thing going on on that out and that song too yeah it, it's just like the stylistic range is incredible and and there's so many little like i want to call it a couple of like little grace note things that sure. happen throughout um you know so um you know uh song for the dumped um you know People know it that like, especially if, if you're anywhere near our age range, you probably heard it in college. Someone played it for you in college. It's really funny and really silly. There is like a one bar bass solo in that that is absolutely <laughs> face meltingly good. And it's like, and and like I showed my friend, uh, you know, a, a, a performance that they were putting on, and he's like. He's like Robert Sledge plays the bass like he's Jimi Hendrix, like in these little moments. It's just shocking. There's another moment, like a little moment that just, you know, they're showing off that they are real musicians in Fair, uh, which is the second track on the album. I think a lot of people pass over it, although it's it's really brilliant. 
it's another kind of breakup song but there's a, a thing they do with vocal dynamics late in the song where they're singing a three-part harmony and they use what's called and this is you know what it appealed to me as like a music theater nerd at, at the time in high school was they use a vocal technique called a sforzando where yeah. like they hit right. it hard right at the start pull all the way back with their vocals and then and then uh raise the up the volume again and it's just like these are notes that you would not get in any of the, you know you're not going to get that in semisonics albums you know you're not going to get that in a lot of the other guys that were on the radio at the time The, the the evolution that they're going through is impressive, and that, and I think it's why it's this album sunk its hooks so deep into me. At the time. I mean, Fair also has that just fan, just so many rock solid hooks and melodies. That was that yeah. all this breathing in, never yeah, breathing yeah. out. It's just yeah. such a wonderful pop moment that's just yeah, you're just thrown away on song two again. Not one that they really ever, you know. I don't know if it made it onto the greatest hits or anything like that, but people should hear it. I, I guess we really can't. We can't talk about this album, though, without talking about more about Song for the Dumped, because it's infamous. It's certainly the funniest song that the Ben Folds Five ever did. Hard to argue with the song whose chorus is literally, give me my money back, give me my money back, you bitch. Uh, and, uh, you know, don't forget to give me my black, back my black t-shirt, which is, you know, it's. I think the reason that everybody loves it is because it's so refreshing to hear a song where the protagonist doesn't treat a breakup in some sort of noble, sad, romantic way. <laughs> or even in like some Elvis Costello like tirade of writerly rage. No, but rather it's just in the bluntest and most recognizably like, yeah, I literally said that out loud in the junior year of college sort of a way. Like, yeah, I, we all had that angry rant. You know, maybe we ranted to the wall when we were thinking about that breakup, but we've all had that exact way of thinking about a bad breakup and you never see it really put into writing, which is what makes it so bracing. Mm. The other thing is that it really does owe an obvious debt to Harry Nilsson who is, again, a guy who I know, I'm just know for sure that Ben Folds listened to. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Harry Nelson's You're Breaking My Heart, uh, which is, you know, a, a great song. It's because you're breaking my heart, you're tearing it apart, so f*** you. <laughs> which is, you know, it, it was this big, he actually wanted it released as a pop single in 1973, right? Um, but yeah, clearly, clearly taken from the same idea where, like, you, 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 it's instead of a romantic cliche, it's actually just straight up anger and rage about how, how much you feel like you've been crapped on by that girl well and and this is another example of someone near ben folds writing lyrics in protest of ben folds lyric writing <laughs> story behind the song is that darren jesse said like you have to stop writing these songs that are like these character driven whatever 
and and reaching so much you should write something like this and he just writes scribbles this out <laughs> ben folds turns this into into this like legendary song which they which they then as live performers turn into you know one of their big encore numbers where they riff where they do crazy things to their instruments um you know it, 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 and it's just like a pure for such a bitter song it actually is pure joy mm-hmm. to, to see it performed i think it's like pure pure catharsis um and the fact that it's running up back to back with selfless cold and composed which is dead serious right it's so like it's so perfect like the album sequencing on this is is perfect point out mentioned there and jesse his drumming on the first two tracks one angry dwarf and fair point out how important he was to the band sound he is fantastic on on those two those two songs and then two other ones i want to mention quickly battle of who could care less is one of my favorite ben i wouldn't say it's their best but it's still one of my favorite ben folds five songs that the do do backing vocals uh the, the you know what the, the sad thing about the kids these days is scott is that you know the kids these days they just don't understand a good franklin mint joke when they hear it not only that uh, but that is one of my favorite uh, you call it a line read in the movies, right? But the way Ben Folds, and I'll have to bleep myself, right? You know, why don't we pitch it to the Franklin f-ing Mint? Like that, that, that delivery, that line read is so perfect for that line. And it, the song too, I mean, like what other band at this time, what other power trio is going to begin uh, a, a track with minor key do doing? <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, th- there's a, a, for pop music this is a very daring approach or this is a more adult approach Mm -hmm. to songwriting and i thought that 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 song captures a bit of the that spirit of the 90s right like this is you know this this is the like the 910 the pre-911 mindset i kind of like long for when i think of the 90s of yeah f- fine pewter portraits of general apathy yes. and major boredom singing whatever <laughs> and ever amen yeah you think w- watching rockford files is cool like you know that it, it's like that one line is this beautiful portrayal of like the gen x hipster you know the hipster to be and uh it is this perfect gen x gem of 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 music you know this this little gem of and and, and in, in a sense also it's it's actually almost social commentary mm-hmm. by ben folds right i mean he is parodying this kind of gen x attitude of being distant and ironic from everything right i mean it, it's 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 not just like a pleasing song inventive song i think actually think this is you know this is the best bit of social commentary I think a pop band could give in 1997. It's, I think it's genius. (laughs) 
Virtually every song on the album. The last song, "Evaporated," is a brilliant piece of songwriting, and it folds nails the melody to such an extent that the lyrics are are nearly inessential. Just be, the the mood he sets and the way that that I think, well, hopefully, you certainly I feel when I merely hear the music is enough to tell me what emotion he's trying to get across. You know, the, the lyrics are about kind of being emotionally numb and. Pour, I poured my heart out. It evaporated. See, it's it's really amazing the way that the marriage of, of, of melody and lyrics work. But I think that melody is so good. The, the music is so good. It works even without lyrics to make you feel what he wants you to feel. It's a it's a great way to end the album. Buy this album, people. It really is amazing. Um, now, we can move on, probably deal with it pretty briefly, but what do you guys think of the Outtakes album, uh, Naked Baby Photos, which is great title, by the way, you know, for, like, what's the most embarrassing thing? You know, it's, it's that, that baby photo of you and, like, you know, you know, your peen is hanging out because you're like a, you know, an infant and it's just like your parents thought it was cute at the time but you're mortified to have to see it this is basically outtakes from the first two records and then a bunch of live tracks and uh, i remember when scott pitched this to me uh, he was like yeah i don't really think this is that important it's not that a major of a statement but there are, there are actually quite a few songs i like on this i think it begins really well i really like that original single version of jackson camery yeah. um and Eddie Walker is pretty good. I mean, I think I read that it was like basically a rehearsal track, you know, for the band. It was basically the moment where they all felt like they clicked as an ensemble. But the one that really jumps out at me is Emmeline, <laughs> which is a fantastic little tune. I don't know where it's from. I don't know what its origin is. Maybe well, one of you, you guys knows better. But it's also very weird in that there's a guitar on it, which yep. is like one That's, of the very few times you'll ever hear a guitar. It almost sounds country in that way. The band wanted it on the first album, on Ben Folds 5, and they thought it was the single. They thought this is, this is the single. This is the this is the hit, and the the label uh, apparently thought it would be very tough to market a an album of you know whatever thirteen songs with no p- guitar and one with guitar, and they wanted to c- kind of keep the no guitar uh, motif for the that's album, so, so they left it off. Uh, but it, yeah, it, that's the that's the that's the best part of this uh, of this album. That's clearly the highlight for me too. Now she was Uh, Tom and Mary, I think, stands out a little bit as like this kind of fun, you know, deeply. For some reason, the, the the sound of it feels deeply southern to me. Right? It feels like authentically, um, you know, out of that barrel house, almost 
touching on gospel tradition, um, which he gets into a little bit more later in, in some other tracks um, in their career. And I think that's a, that's another like little, little gem, uh, right? Like it's not a great song. It's not a, um, but, but for something for a toss off on, you know, an outtakes and live album, I think it's great. So what does that take us to, but the uh, final well, Ben Folds five album for at least 13 years. And uh, I would say probably I got a gay, I got a ding them on this one. One of the more pretentious album titles ever, <laughs> uh, the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner, which, uh, you know, I, I found out thanks to Wikipedia. It was actually just the, the name that was on one of the band members, fake IDs when they were in high school, uh, which is hilarious. And that's, that's where, that's where this very pretentious sounding German name comes from. You might think it's a concept album from a name like that, but it's, not it, it, it's just a further evolution of the ben folds five sound I, I think maybe the uh the big change here at least as far as i can hear it is that there's there's a, there's a greater turn towards uh, i don't know if this is the best term to use because it sounds derogatory but the, there's more pomp on this album than there are on a lot of previous albums the songs get a lot slower i mean i think i'm six songs in before they even try an up-tempo number <laughs> thankfully that up-tempo number that they do is one of their five greatest songs i'd argue but uh you know for an album that's mostly much slower and much more sort of ruminative almost feels like uh like Ben Folds is, you know, having a, a spot of depression or something like that. Uh, you really can't do much better than opening with narcolepsy, which is just, you know, this, you know, again, just giant, majestic, bombastic track. And that great line where he's like, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I just sleep. It's such a good line. And uh, it's, it's actually, I'd say, maybe my favorite album opener of their career uh, in any of their four albums. I know it's do see this as somewhat of a concept and maybe it's only in my own mind but when i hear reinhold messner what i picture is is an extended moment that moment between when your head hits the pillow and when you fall asleep and certainly there's the sleep motif both in narcolepsy and a lullaby the last song of the album so that's where right. i kind of pull that in but it's the whole album is kind of dreamlike and hazy um, and, and there's some questions, I think, about what's real and what's not. And there are memories. And you think about these big questions and the mistakes you made in your life that day, that week, 10 years ago. All those kind of that, that, that state between awake and asleep. I think all of it kind of ties together. So it's like this extended moment between, you know, when you're ready for bed and when you actually fall asleep. And all those thoughts and uh, desires and regrets that pop in your mind when you're in that period 
you look at a song like, you know, Mess is all the mistakes in a relationship in life. It's a very rhythmic song. Je- Darren Jesse really powers that one through. Uh, it's the tack piano that powers that for yeah. me. I just love the treated piano he has on that. Uh, Magic is actually uh, one that was only written by by Darren Jesse um, about, you know, remembering the death of a grandparent and the shalalas at the end of it. Regrets, uh, literally, uh, about regrets, of course. And I love the, my notes say it's, it's kind of a jazzy 70s film score feel. It's very bouncy baseline for regrets no 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 regrets is just clearly joe jackson stepping out written inside out i mean oh yeah it is exactly that it even has like the synth synthy sounds that the instrumentation and the beat of course it has that kind of choral orchestral freak out at the end which isn't (laughs) so but up until that point it literally it's like he took the chords and then he like took the chords put them on his stand you know sheet music and then he turned the sheet music upside down <laughs> and he started playing it that way and that's what regrets turned out to be when you do that it's an interesting experiment it's not one of my favorite songs on the record because it because it reminds me so much of uh, frankly a better song but it's pretty fascinating at least let me spend two minutes on my favorite track in the album one of my favorite tracks is in the five don't change your plans uh, which I always put on a, a list of the saddest songs uh, written. I, I think this is a terribly sad song when you get through both the, the lyrics and the melody. Uh, it was supposed to be even longer, and uh, Caleb Souther, the produ- producer, convinced him to cut off this big intro. So it, you, you sort of enter the song, essentially, with uh, the lyrics, which uh, is a story about um, a, a couple moving to the West Coast, to L.A. They get out there, the guy freaks out, uh, and the line, uh, sat here on my suitcase in our empty new apartment. Like, they just got there, and he's already regretting this decision. He goes back to the East Coast. Don't change your plans for me. And part of what makes it even sadder for me is the admission in it that it makes no sense. Um, all I know is I've got to be where my heart says I ought to be. It often makes no sense. In fact, I never understand these things I feel because the way that the song builds up, you know, you're the reason I want to stay. You're everything to me, but I got to go back East. It makes no sense, but that's what my, that's what my heart tells me. It's where I should be. Um, it's just an amazing song. Don't Change Your Plans is my favorite from uh, from the album. Don't change your plans for me. Move to This album, it's interesting. At the time, I remember I was hotly anticipating this this album coming out. Um, and I remember when I first put it on, I just didn't get it, right? Like, I was not primed for this at all. I was expecting more of the Barrel House. I was expecting 
I was expecting it to be more like their first album than their second one. And instead it was this continued evolution for the band's sound. And then it started to click for me that like simultaneously it felt like they were they were going in two different directions that remind me of the 70s, which was um, on, on the one hand on narcolepsy and on regrets, it felt like they were going for this almost like queen like <laughs> hugeness of sound almost like okay well we were years ago um a grunge band that would try to fill up um a club with this nasty amount of distortion now we're going to be an almost like arena rock sized sound and you can find youtube performances of narcolepsy where it's just the three of them, right? Where it's Ben on the piano, uh, or uh, Robert on uh, a synthesizer that he talked to me about getting in Germany somewhere, <laughs> and Darren on drums and these incredibly large gongs and cymbals. And it's like, it is shocking the the wave of sound that they were able to create live with this even sometimes when they lacked a string section to do to do some of the things that they do on the on the album track um it's just massive and then on the other side i feel like there's this almost uh karen carpenter or burt Bacharach style of plaintive songwriting um on don't change your plans or yeah, um, yep yep or mess right like even even that is like mess is like a it's a country song uh in a lot of ways it has that that country style bass and and driving tempo and it's just gorgeous and lush and uh i think a, a masterpiece that was recognized too late right like it, it, army the song army which was their single you know it got some play but you know i think their label considered this a failure you know a commercial failure uh and i think it was a little bit of a critical failure at the time and only was later recognized you know after they broke up as you know possibly one of the most um you know brilliant failed concept albums um that you can get. I think they even played this whole album live on a, on a MySpace sponsored uh, reunion in 2008 before their, their future reunion. Um, And yeah, I think, um, I think it's beautiful. Um, You know, I actually, I would speak up for regrets as uh, one of my favorite tracks on the album um just because it's it's silly in a lot of ways in an in an album that um lacks some silliness at least in the first half um you know and and also i love the the kind of final freak out at the end i think um <laughs> i don't know i think it's gorgeous i think it's gorgeous
And then one other one other song I'd lo- I'd like to call out is the final one, um, uh, "Lullaby," which is um, really a gospel song um, that disguises itself, um, you know, as just the. It's a gospel song musically, but it's the tale of this bizarre plane ride with uh, James Earl Jones featuring in it. And um, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of perfect, uh, a perfect way to cap off uh, this part of their career. I think, you know, I, I like the bombast on this album a lot, uh, but I'll have to admit that I'm, I'm more attuned to the upbeat numbers, I suppose, which is, is, is strange because I'm, I'm a pretty melancholy dude myself. So Don't Change Your Plants is a beautiful, beautiful song. Mess is a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, but I, I really love Army, which I know puts me, you know, along with every other Ben Folds 5 fan on the planet. I think it's one of their most popular songs. But man, I really can't get over the hilarity of those lyrics. You know, got a job at Chick-fil-A, citing artistic differences. The band broke up in May, and then in June, they reformed without me, and they got a different name. It was like he nuked another, like, you know, donut in the microwave and hung, hung his head in shame. really funny stuff and of course there's that line at the end which is the whole thing is autobiography apparently but that line at the end is is, is even more painful now that he has you know three ex-wives where he says you know my peers they criticize me and my ex-wives all to surprise me yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try to put it all behind me but my redneck past is nipping at my heels and then of course what happens but that the song is followed by your redneck past hey maybe you guys were right maybe there is a concept to this album <laughs> after all uh, your redneck past is another one that I really like you know it, you basically it's about a person who's um you know come from a place that completely embarrasses them whether it's like white suburbia even though or you know like growing up a redneck and now just is you know you know basically discarded all that and is pretending to be a different person you know he's you know je suis american please cook my steak again you know it's a beautiful piece of music but i think the lyric is you know, it's a good combination of some of the snark that Folds is always known for as a lyricist, but with actually a more serious theme underneath it. There's a certain amount of, um, I think, self-criticism in that song. I think, you know, you know, everybody thinks of Army as being such an obviously, uh, you know, autobiographical song. But I feel like Your Redneck Past is also fairly autobiographical for him, too, even though it's never spoken of in that way. And so this is the end of the of Mach One, uh, Ben Ben Folds Five. As I did, I if you guys know what happened. I mean, all I ever hear is said is that oh, they broke up amicably. But like, was there really some? Was it drug problems, ego problems? Ben Folds just was getting a divorce. What was it? Why did he decide to walk so away? The the accepted story is twofold. That on the one hand, they were just bone tired mm-hmm. uh, they were working on a follow-up to 
um, you know, they were starting to put together a follow-up to the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner. They were bone tired. Ben had married someone from Australia and yes. was thinking of moving there. And did. Ben had been a bit of a taskmaster and perf- perfectionist and maybe a, 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 an unforgiving band leader. So I think that there were, there were some personal, um, grievances yeah some grievances darren jesse had ambitions as you know more of um, a soft-spoken indie songwriter that i think he wanted to pursue but, you know it, it, it was an odd time i mean i was still kind of obsessed with them i was i was pretty upset about their breakup because um, i thought their next album would be great given some of the tracks that they were experimenting with at the end of their their final tour um but they 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 split up um darren put out a few albums under uh a band name called hotel lights um and including a song that you know one of the things about ben folds five that i think is worth mentioning is that there are all sorts of little b-sides or or songs that weren't on their first three albums that you can find if you search around their cover of video killed the radio star is pretty good video killed the radio star they did a cover of champagne supernova um which is you know just a a kind of tour gimmick um but they also did a cover of honey don't which is one of these um the the, the carl perkins honey don't the carl perkins honey don't which if if you can find that that's that's actually like a real fun really fun track that they did for some compilation that I think never came out or barely saw the light of day. Um, and they were, they were working on a song that I think has been included in, in sort of reissues Amelia bright, which I think is Darren Jesse's best song, especially when, uh, when Ben sings it. So there are all sorts of little, little songs there. They contributed a song to the Godzilla soundtrack. It's a good one. Air. Yeah. yeah air which i think is you know just an interesting little little song and um there's another one that they did for a compilation called no no boundaries called leather jacket which was another tack piano song that is actually short and just gorgeous actually it's, it's one of these strange short and gorgeous tunes and i think real devotees of the band kind of would put together almost like little albums of the, you know, like their own version of naked baby photos out of, out of these tracks um, that appeared on, you know, Japanese releases or on, you know, CD singles that, you know, maybe they only printed up 2,500 copies of them. So the question Uh, I have to ask you is, could we make, could we assemble a similar album uh, that would be the equivalent say of any of the first three Ben folds fives albums um, out of Ben Folds' uh, surprisingly sedate solo career. Because that's where we start here. We, we go to Ben Folds releasing his first solo album, Rock in the Suburbs, in 2001, which, you know, had a lot of crossover success, actually. There was one song on this, the title track, which became um, like a pretty big hit. I remember seeing on MTV, this is actually the first thing I'd ever seen from Ben Folds 5. Would you believe it? It was this, and his cover of Bitches Ain't Shit, ironically enough, is the other thing I saw. We're going to have to bleep that. Um, but... <laughs> but um, 
I have to agree. I think we were all talking about this before the show, and we were all of a similar sentiment that there are some really good songs in his solo career. Mm-hmm. But something changes. He really, he truly does seem to miss. Maybe it's you know, maybe you age, you get older, you lose some of the the fire, and maybe you know you can't be writing snarky, you know, wise ass lyrics when you're 39 the same way you could when you were 22. But there's something about these solo albums that that it just it doesn't feel nearly the same as it did when he was with the band. Now that said, I think there are some great songs on Rock in the Suburbs. I think that Zach and Sarah may you know, it, it may even make it into my top five at the end. I think that's just a beautiful slice of power pop and exact you know Zach and Sarah with without the H, just a great song. And uh, I just wonder why there aren't more pieces like that on stuff like Rock in the Suburbs or the follow-ups to it. Sarah spelled without an H was getting bored On a PV amp in 1984 While Zach without a C tried out some new I would defend rock in the suburbs. You know, when you, when I look over the, the track list, um, I like to talk about being a dad. I have to admit still fighting it. It actually is soppy, very, very kind of dad rocky, but I do like that one too. Still fighting it is a great dad rock song. Um, you know, right in the middle of the album, uh, Fred Jones part two, which is a duet with uh, cakes lead singer. There was no party. There were no songs Cause today's just a day Like the day that he started No one is left here Knows his first name And life barrels on Like a runaway train Where the passengers change They don't change anything You get off And the ascent of Stan, I think those two kind of stand out for me as, um, you know, Ben Folds contemplating middle age and middle age problems um, or, or getting older uh, in a in a way that's pretty useful and unusual. Uh, but I agree that that there's like some there there are there are stretches on some of his solo albums where you know, that are longer droughts than than you'd find anywhere in the Benfolds 5 catalog. I think I have an allergic reaction in particular to the song Rock in the Suburbs, <laughs> which I, I don't know. I think it's it's the moment where 
it's it's obviously just a joke song you know let me tell you what it's all like being male middle class and white you know and of course all these jokes it's a bitch if you don't believe me listen to my new cd and if you've seen the video you know it's like him he even holds up a copy of you know rock in the suburbs as he's singing the song and it's just a bunch of jokes about being um you know basically a, a middle class white musician <laughs> uh it's funny and yet it just it's sour and also the same way it makes me feel like well i i thought to myself this feels almost like a weird al yankovic song and then i find out that weird al yankovic actually like directed the music <laughs> video and i thought to myself how did i make that call i don't know how i would have ever gotten that but i was right at my instinct and it does feel like that moment if you could ever say there's a moment where ben folds to descended even if temporarily into self-parody it comes on that tune now maybe i'm being too harsh on it I, uh, my, my problem with rock in the suburbs is every sharp edge is smoothed in some way. His vocals are smoother. The instrumentation is smoother. He played most instruments by himself on this album. Um, the, uh, the, the lyrics are kind of smooth. The, the drums are processed to be smooth. Everything is everything I like from kind of that. I, I know uh, Michael was a little uh, harsh on the production from the first two albums. I actually really like the production in the first two albums for the most part, and that's gone. And it's really uh, you know ready for radio. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the producer who produced all the fuel stuff and filters stuff was <laughs> was uh, produced Rock in the Suburbs. So that gives you an idea of where they were going with the sound of it. Most of the songs are pleasant enough. Most have decent melodies. Um, I, I think actually you guys pegged the best of it. Zach and Sarah, uh, as Jeff mentioned, and as Michael mentioned, that one, two in the middle of the album, Fred Jones Part 2 and The Ascent of Stan, probably are the three high points. I think um, Not the Same is, um, is, is, is okay. Um, but I got to tell you, you know, as long as it's okay to, to move a little bit, if, if I'm recommending anything from Ben Fold's solo career, and, and to be to be clear, um, I, I think a majority has been underwhelming uh, moments that are very good, but, but largely sort of sort of down, certainly from from where he was with the band. He released a set of EPs in 2003 and one in 2004. But together, you could kind of piece together an album. And I think it's his best solo work uh speed graphics sunny 16 and super d are the three eps and i think they're probably uh in that order of quality too speed graphic the first there's actually a really i think good cover of uh the cures in between days it's a fantastic cover i was really I good was, you recommended it to me and i put it on and i thought well this is probably just another you know a, a kitsch cover because it's an ep right so that's where you throw on these goofy cover tracks that's I like it almost as much as the yeah. original, and I'm surprised to find myself thinking that. Yesterday I got so scared, I shivered like a child. Yesterday away from you, it froze me deep inside. So come back, come back, don't walk away. Come back, come back, come back today. Come back, come back, can you see? I think the production is better here on, on the EPs. Uh, Dog from that first one is good. 
Wandering is a song cover with Darren Jesse, so that element is injected back into music. It's a really good one. Uh, on Sunny 16, there's always someone cooler than you, which is kind of retread ground in terms of lyrics. You know, you go back to like underground and songs like that, but the melody is very good. Uh, and then on Super D, there's a song called Adelaide, which is uh, about the, the town in Australia where he had moved and, and was living or living near. Uh, that actually was a, it, hey, Ben Folt's big in Australia. He really blew it up big in Australia with Adelaide. Uh, but I, I think, you know, if you kind of combine these into an album, which uh, they, they did in, in a way uh, down the road, they released a, kind of a, uh, a compiled version of these EPs. It's probably his best work start to finish of any of the solo albums, in my opinion. I think what's fun about the EPs is that um, Rock, you know, Rock in the Suburbs wasn't the the kind of, I think hit that he wanted it to be. And so the EPs feel like him getting a little bit back of that DIY spirit of I'm, I'm going to record and put stuff out there and not overthink it. Um, one of the tracks for me that really stands out, um, you mentioned in between days. I think that's one of his best covers, but there's another one on uh, Sunny 16. He covers Songs of Love from The Magnetic Fields, mm. which is, you know, sappy in a way, like it, it straightforward. But it's actually the lyrics are very it's a skillful little portrait of um, a, it's a songwriter writing about writing songs of love in his kind of apartment above a street where there are the the teenagers and school-aged people who are, you know, driven by desires and hormones in a way that's much more um, primal than the the um, the aspirations of the, the songwriter is trying to capture about love. And um, I think it's, you know, like just a, a gorgeous little track that you know, something you would include on, uh, you know, a mix compilation you might give to someone you admire at the time. Like, I think it's a, a you know, a perfect little track to throw in on your little <laughs> the mixtape that you give to a crush. If I'm being honest with you guys, I think the best thing that Ben Folds did during this era was his collaboration with William Shatner. And I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Live life like you're gonna die because you are. Maybe you won't suffer, maybe it's quick But you'll have time to think Why did I waste it? Why didn't I taste it? You'll have time Cause you're gonna die You're gonna, you're gonna die I tell you who else left us Passed on, gone to heaven, no longer with us Johnny Cash JFK, that guy in the stones Lou Gehrig, Einstein, and Joey Ramone. Joey Ramone. Have I convinced you? Do you read my lips? This may come as news, but it's time. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. By the time you hear this, I may well be dead. And you, my friend, might be next. Huh? I don't know if either of you have heard Has Been, which is the William Shatner album uh, that he put out in 2004. Uh, but I don't know how to sell this to people rationally. Guys, it's, it's actually a good album. Ben Folds co-writes almost all of the music. It opens with that 
cover of Common People, which I think a lot of people have heard with Joe Jackson. Also, of course, Joe Jackson, getting him in there, obviously, is a big influence. But yeah, William Shatner and Joe Jackson singing. But the rest of the stuff is is, is Ben Folds music with, uh, you know, William Shatner sort of, you know, portentous, you know, monologuing over top of it. Uh, but it, it's all really entertaining. And it's actually like, uh, I guess, you know, having, you know, uh, you know, you know, Captain Kirk to work behind in some ways <laughs> liberates him to just write some very spacey and strange music like You'll Have Time, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, and it hasn't happened yet, I think is really good. So, you know, not obviously a part of the core Ben Folds canon, but I do advise folks if they feel like listening to something that's pretty funny and quirky, go check it out. That no, gives me an excuse. It gives me an excuse um, to mention Fear of Pop, which William Shatner was also involved in. This uh, It was released in 98, so in, uh, in between Whatever and Ever and, and Reinhold Messner. And it's uh, it's just basically Ben Folds and a couple of the guys, you know, experimental pop um, textures and orchestration and rhythm. William Shatner does, uh, it's not singing, it's, it's narration uh, for <laughs> a song and a half on Fear of Pop. Um, my roommate had it in college, and we'd listen to it as like ambient music, which is probably the way it's best um, consumed. You don't want to dig too deep into some of these songs, but you can kind of hear it and hear the groove and the experimentation. That's not bad. There's uh, the first two songs, "Fear of Pop" and "Cops," is is uh, both are, are good. There's one later, "I Paid My Money," which I actually like. It's and the lyrics are a, a guy who actually won't leave before the credits are done uh, at the theater because he paid his money and he wants to see the whole the whole thing. I paid my money and I'm gonna see all the movie. I paid my money and I'm gonna see all the movie and it's gonna be good. I'm telling you, people's gonna be real good because I paid my money. Worth, worth a listen, not part of the canon, but Shatner is involved there too. Yeah, I like the uh, you know the Shatner collaboration seems to have originated in two things, which is, um, you know, there were a series of Priceline commercials in the late nineties that Shatner was doing spoken word over with musicians behind him, and one of them was Ben Folds. I think Lisa Loeb was sometimes in the background of these <laughs> odd commercials, and Folds had remembered a Shatner spoken word version of maybe it was Lucy in the sky no, with rocket man, rocket man. And just thought that there was some kind of power in it. And they, the, the album has been, is like this little gem. I actually really like, um, the, the sort of country music. Uh, that's me trying, uh, track number four. Yeah. And you hear, um, Amy Mann and, and Ben fold singing, which is a, a nice duet. Um, and Shatner's kind of heartbreaking uh, little interludes of narration. It's it's really bizarre. I mean, this is, um, you know, this is the weird uh, draught of whiskey that you get at a, a wine bar when the guy's testing, you know, how <laughs> fine your taste is. But it, yeah, I dig it. I dig this and I turn back to it occasionally 
as well. You'll have time is the one that makes me laugh every single time. Uh, we're you know we basically say, yeah, yeah, you think you're gonna live forever, but nah, nah you'll die. You'll, you'll see you soon enough. And of course, Shatner's <laughs> still kicking. I don't know why he never made a follow up, man. <laughs> uh, t- two more solo albums for Ben Folds during the uh, the aughts. Um, and I don't have a whole lot to say about, well, certainly Wait to Normal, which I, I think even Folds perhaps realized was kind of a dead end because he's not made a proper solo album since then. There's been some collaborations, uh, the acapella work, which Michael mentioned earlier, uh, collaboration with Nick Hornby, which is kind of interesting. But uh, Wait to Normal is not too much on there I can, I can recommend. Songs for Silverman before that is a very... I wrote down it's very it's a very spacious album. You know, Ben Folds Five. Um, we, we mentioned earlier how big they sounded for just three guys in that band and filling the holes on the song and 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 really having this this really large sound. Songs for Silverman is the opposite. There's all sorts of space in these arrangements on Songs for Silverman. They're relatively laid back from start to finish. There's some, again, recycled themes and, and kind of song ideas lyrically on here. Uh, Give Judy My Notice is actually one that was on one of the EPs and was produced up for Songs for Silverman. I like it better here. There's actually there's pedal steel on it that I think works very, very well. And the other song I wanted to, to point to, which might be my favorite thing he did as a solo artist during this time, uh, was I think the lead single from this album called Landed. I think it probably is the single best moment post Ben Folds 5 breakup. It's just the soaring, soaring chorus and a great melody. Uh, post breakup, you know, recovering from, from a breakup is, is the lyrical uh, conceit here. There's some kind of stop-start qualities to it. Very full sound, as as uh, in contrast to the rest of the album. Probably is my favorite song from Ben Folds during this this solo era, but I can't really say a ton of great things about either of these albums. So I like um, so songs for Silverman. I can listen to and enjoy. Um, you know, it's sort of in in my deeper cuts uh, basket. I I do have a, another little personal story about. Um, that connects me to Ben Fold somehow. I have a uh, a cousin on my mother's side um, who is a country musician. He he actually a couple cousins, um, Mike and Robert Delavani formed a little band in the '90s called the Delavantes, um, and they they appeared on Conan O'Brien uh, for their album Long About That Time. And kind of settled into the Nashville music scene. These kind of refugees from New Jersey that that turned to country music, and they, they've kind of been around the Nashville scene. At this time, Ben Folds has moved 
back from Australia after another divorce to Nashville. And my uh, my cousin, uh, Mike Delavani, was actually at the table when Ben Folds conceived the song Jesus Land, <laughs> which was, you know, a kind of slice of the 2000s, you know, post-2004 election song back when, you know, Blue America felt alienated from Red America in a particular way moment you know it was kind Thank, of, thankfully we've since moved yes. beyond that political yeah <laughs> it's great it's great that this era of division is, is behind us um i actually think it's an effect uh, an affecting song even if i i find some of the sentiments in it a little bit um i don't know too primed for npr um you know in their way take a walk out the gate you go and never stop Past all the stores and wig shops A quarter in a cup for every block And watch the buildings grow Smaller as you go Down the tracks Beautiful McMansions on a hill I like the production on this. Um, he kind of teams up with uh, John Mark Painter, who had been a collaborator going back to his early Chapel Hill days. And, um, you know, if you're getting really deep into the the uh, the Benfolds, like, extended universe, um, uh, John Mark Painter is a musician who, uh, with his wife, put out a, an album as the rock duo Fleming and John. Yes. Uh, which is is worth checking out if if you're into this extended universe version where you're you're looking at um you know the, these kind of offshoots of the Benfolds five I, if you think of it as like a comic book universe <laughs> Fleming and John is one one direction to go in then the Darren Jesse Hotel Lights and if you're really getting deep um, Robert Sledge put out around this time. Um, a short album with uh, a group called International Orange. Um, these are all kind of way out there, hard to find discs. But I was I was literally going to any concert I could see any of these guys at um, at the time, uh, just because I thought I viewed them so highly. But again, nothing was quite what it was in the '90s. And in fact, I remember going to an International Orange show. And my friend was talking to Robert Sledge outside of the show afterwards. You know, this was in a very small venue in New York. And, you know, he had he asked if Robert Sledge would, um, you know, leave the uh, voicemail message on his cell phone, you know, leave uh, like the, <laughs> I'm away from my phone message. And at the time, Robert said, you know, hey, this is Robert Sledge uh, from Benfolds Five. And his bandmate in International Orange said, well, you know, you're kind of an inter International Orange right now. <laughs> and um, I liked that that ambiguity actually gave me hope that they might uh, reunite after in this period, which which felt like a little bit of a wilderness period for for all involved. Uh, maybe, maybe a productive one in some ways, but 
they men- had to go through this in, in order to reunite maybe is what happened because of course what what are they was it, they were recording songs for like a greatest hits album is that how it how it starts you yeah. know well like, they, they did the full length reinhold messner as uh, michael mentioned for i think it was a myspace session and then they did get together to do a song or two for the greatest hits album which was i think 2011 or so yeah, the best imitation of myself, I think, is what it is. But, but there's another great song off the debut that we didn't talk about. Uh, but yeah, I guess they, they, they decided that, hey, we like working with each other again. Uh, we actually, we, we can do this. And so out of nowhere, with, with nobody expecting it to happen even the slightest bit, there's a new Bed and Folds 5 album. It's called The Sound of the Life of the Mind, which, by the way, great title. Uh, I love that. I and mean, I think that actually is Nick Hornby's title, to be fair. They're one of the side projects we didn't really discuss, of course, is uh, Ben Folds' collaboration with Nick Hornby, the the author of things like you know, Fever Pitch and uh, uh, High Fidelity. Uh, you know, the, the, these books about music fanatics or fanatics of all stripes, really. Um, but, anyways, uh, they put out The Sound of the Life of the Mind in 2012. And uh, boy, you know, uh, Scott said that he didn't really much care for this record. Uh, so I was sort of primed to be skeptical of it going in. Uh, I, th- I think it's pretty good. And I think it's kind of st- okay. Yes, clearly Ben folds himself as a songwriter, his age. Do you hear that? That sort of he, he's. The, the cliche is is easy, but it's true. It's dad rocky in some moments, uh, very clearly so. Uh, but it sounds like Ben Folds Five again. It sounds like that that trio is back playing, and that gives it a much, much I think noticeably different sound and urgency than uh, Ben Folds' solo material does. And so, like, it's not as great as those first three albums, but I don't think it's an embarrassment at all. I think it was pretty great pretty album and i kind of wonder why there wasn't anything after that well you know it's interesting they said you know as they were asked about the reunion at the time i remember ben kind of offered some hints that he was not the best band member in their (laughs) original incarnation and he said you know for instance i wouldn't have said i have the best bass player in the business working with me back then but i would say that now and i i i know that now so i i think you know ben sort of um you know maybe it was that his solo career wasn't yielding exactly what he wanted from it and he he realized what he had in these two collaborators and what they drew out of him i i kind of think that robert sledge the bass player is a little bit of the glue that holds together um you know, Ben folds as, um, you know, a killer writer and composer. There's Mm -hmm. kind of a a freedom and exuberance and, and that fuzzy sound that Robert brings to this band. Um, and, and a clownishness too, that I think is necessary and, and is a little bit of a corrective to that dad rock, um, instinct that Ben is showing more and more as he ages. I think that, first of all, that that's absolutely correct, that, you know, that he he sort of maybe realized that he'd missed something. Uh, But I also think that what he had missed was sort of the, I don't want to call it limitations, working within a band context. Mm Mm-hmm. 
puts up certain barriers. You have to like, these are the three guys who have to play this music. We have to at some point be able to play it together in a room. It's not just me sitting alone, being able to call in any studio musician I want or being able to overdub endlessly. Those sorts of, you know, sort of rules that you set for yourself by having a group dynamic to deal with, I think strengthen a lot of people. And I think that's why solo artists are almost inevitably never as good as they were when they were in their original group unless your name is peter gabriel so um i have to say that when they came back together on this album i was expecting i wouldn't like it and uh, ironically enough the only song on it that i really don't have that much time for is the single i don't like do it anyway i, I think that's probably the lamest moment on this record but i really like i really like the one darren jesse song on this sky high because i didn't like his i didn't like his song on um on reinhold messner nearly as much i thought it was a little bit glommy uh, but i really like sky high it's also very pretty but it works um but i also like michael prater five years later and i really love the title track the sound of the life of the mind it's great lyric and of course comes from nick hornby but it's also a great performance by the band in folds as well and i I think it ends those there are two songs at the end of this that i think are among the best that they ever did and at least one of them maybe both of them will be getting onto my list at the end i think hold that thought is just beautiful and the lyrics themselves are nice but it's the vocal performance that is so lovely i almost like he yodels at one point <laughs> just, he has a just a beautiful falsetto that he goes into on that chorus and you know it's it's that sort of moment that he was so good at doing but he seemed to have lost track of while he was doing his later solo albums how will you hold that thought and i'll hold that thought I really love Thank You for Breaking My Heart. This back to Ben Folds being a really actually surprisingly great at writing naked confessional songs that, that aren't even the slightest bit ironic or insincere. You know, you know, thank you for breaking my heart. Now I know that it's in there. What a fool to imagine that you'd feel the same, but but you know better. And I love the way that it just, you know, ends too just so abruptly as the last track on the album. It's almost like something you just you just hear one last, you know, string bass, you know, hit and then boom end of story wonderful song and i think a wonderful conclusion to an album that uh i was actually pretty pleased with i i I like this album a lot i disagree with um jeff on do it anyway um i thought it was fun it was a song you know it they released it ahead of the album as they were crowdfunding to put the album together because as a band they were still unsigned at Mm -hmm. this point um and darren and ben were signed to different labels under their you know solo act or under hotel lights um i like do it anyway i liked the return of like the the country style one five four five bass line uh that robert is playing in that i thought the standout track which which um 
it didn't hit me the first time I listened to it, but the first time I saw them perform it, it really hit me was Erase Me, which um, actually demonstrates a, a little bit of artistic evolution on the part of Ben himself in this in this song, as far as his ability to play with these two other musicians, in that I think you know, Ben sort of through his solo work or whatever, he changed his approach with his left hand on the piano in a way that I felt opened up even more space for Robert on these tracks. Uh, and that comes through in Erase Me more than anywhere else. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think there's a lot that's worthwhile on this on this album. I think even the even when it feels sometimes like they're they're going back to their, you know, they're they're almost approaching a song in a nostalgic way, like draw a crowd. Yeah, this track, uh, I'm into it. I'm I'm actually buying it, and um, I'm buying that that nostalgia tour approach to to their previous work. And I found you know. This album came out in 2012, and I think it was in 2012 or 2013, uh, probably 2012, I found myself back at Summer Stage in Central Park seeing a Ben Folds 5 show. Um, and this time, I, you know, I didn't, my friends and I, we didn't push up all the way to the front. Um, I'm, I'm married to the, you know, woman that, you know, 10, uh, 15 years earlier or 13 years earlier they had written notes to and I'm seeing there are dads around thicker in the belly, like most of the song. <laughs> and some of them have like these tattoos of, you know, the stick piano artwork from early in the band's life. We heard one guy call his daughter, Emmeline. <laughs> so like these were hardcore fans. And, and I took, you know, cousins to see this band who, you know, had never seen these guys live before and they were blown away. Some of them said it was the best live show that they had seen. I actually thought it didn't quite measure up to what I had seen in 1999. Um, as far as performance, uh, although Ben had was insisting that they were, he felt that they were smoking their old material, that, you know, that they were, they were much tighter. Um, but they were they were sharp as hell on this tour, and it made me think that they should they should keep going and pushing. Um, you know that that uh, there was still life left in this formation. But Ben has has continued to pursue other projects, and I think you know the other guys are wrapped up in in their personal lives too. So I think that's part of why they haven't uh, gone back gone back to the well one more time yet sometimes it's not subjective wrong and right deep down you know it's downright wrong but you're invincible tonight so you do it anyway it's done you did it despite your grand attempts the chips are set to fall and all the stories you might weave cannot negotiate them all do it anyway be honest Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
maybe they just have the once every 13 years rule and so we, we just have to hold on keep holding out and so was it 2012 well oh, darn 2025 is going to be a long way away <laughs> um, yeah. yeah and i i think i think the word i used to describe this in the email to jeff was uninspired and um i guess i'll stand by that i think my one of my bigger problems here is is it's not quite as 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 joyful as some of the older uh, music was. Not that I have to repeat the, the plot, of course. Uh, this is a little more sludgy and, and dreary, although Reinhold Messner was in some places, too. Look, there are some good good spots. I think Michael Prater, Five Years Later, might be the best song on, on the album. Toward the end, I like quite a bit as well. And uh, as Jeff mentioned, Hold That Thought has just a really good melody to it that, that pushes it through. I'm happy to hear them together again. And certainly on songs like Erase Me, you hear that, that the full band dynamic. Um, you know, they, they sound like they should. Uh, but I don't think it's quite. I don't think they quite hit the mark. Uh, at least the mark that I was, <laughs> the mark that I was hoping for with this one. So where does that leave us? Do we talk about uh, Ben Folds' adventures as an advisor to the Kennedy Center, or uh, do we do we simply you know call it a day today? I mean, there's Ben has done so many other little things. You know, we we mentioned the Shatner stuff, but he's done you know soundtrack work for animated films. Um, you know, you could feel people kind of uh, looking to him the way some people look to Randy Newman, right? Randy Newman did soundtrack work uh for film too so you know there there is a lot you know i i think it was right of me earlier to mention that there's almost this extended universe uh around ben folds five and ben folds the solo career and you know if you get really into those first three albums i think it's worth pursuing some of those little side projects that the band members did or that ben did because um, yeah, you. I think you will find that there is another. If you if you put it all together, I do think there is another full album or two after the first three of of just great tracks, and you 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 will find them. And of course, now it's easier than ever to kind of assemble your own playlist mm -hmm. digitally uh, and enjoy them. So yeah, you should choose your own adventure. And and in that last tour together as a band. They picked up a few of the solo tracks, like "Landed," and they sounded great as a as an ensemble. And you realize that maybe a few of Benfold's solo tracks were really waiting for the band when they reunited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I look forward to another reunion tour. I think, you know, I think at some point, just as a matter of uh, financial interest, <laughs> there there will be a desire to to tour again. 
I mean, there's certainly always a market for those, you know, those great reunions. Hey, even Pavement managed to do one of them. So I, I'm sure that Ben Folds 5 could pull one off. <laughs> Come to the part of the show where we now identify for you, the listener, the, the two albums that you should own, the five tracks from our band that you must hear. Michael Brendan Doherty, senior uh, writer at National Review, new book, My Father Left Me Ireland, with us today. Michael, the floor is yours, your albums and your songs. So, you know, we, we kept talking about the, the, the first three albums. And so it's, it's hard to, um, well, it's hard to, to select one for, uh, for an abortion. Like, <laughs> um, but I would say the, the, whatever and ever amen is in the top spot. Um, cause just back to front, I think it's the most, um, fully realized vision of the band um and offers the most diverse set of pleasures um as a listener and then followed by the unauthorized biography of reinhold messner which is this you know it, it, you can almost in some ways feel the band getting lost and, and coming towards their end in this album i think but there are just so many the 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 size of the sound that they produce is just huge and I think irresistible. So five songs, do I rank these from, from five to one or just any five? You do not have to rank them at all. Any, any five and any yeah, order. I always which... do mine chronologically. So, you know, you don't have yeah. to. So chronologically five songs. Oh. Um, oh. I'm going to go with from Ben five album uh video uh is the song i'm pulling out of there on their second album uh, you know i think you have to include one angry dwarf and 200 solemn faces um we didn't talk about it much but it is just so much fun um and again there are so many little grace notes and great little bass performances in there by Robert Sledge. Then I'm going to go follow up the right on the next track fair. Uh, I think that's essential. And the final track on that album evaporated. Here I stand. that takes me to number four and um number five from the unauthorized biography of reinhold messner i'll say um you know i'm gonna pull a left turn here and say regrets uh i just think that's a can't miss track for me uh all right my my two albums are the first two albums uh ben folds five the self-titled uh and whatever and ever 
Amen. Uh, for the songs, I'll take two from the first album, Alice Childress, which we talked quite a bit about, and then uh, what I think could be the best song they ever did, The Last Polka from Ben Folds 5. Give me a, a Selfless, Cold, and Composed from Whatever and Ever, Amen. Just a gorgeous track. Uh, Don't Change Your Plans from Reinhold Messner. And I will throw one solo track on that list from the Ben Folds career. I, I think Landed is, uh, is, is worthy of being in that uh, discussion. So Landed from uh, Songs for Silverman. You know, Jeff, I can't even argue with your list, by the way, too. Like, I like my list, and then your <laughs> list would be just as good for me. Well, my list will probably be really bad, so uh, you guys can... We'll tell you if it is, yeah. So my, my first two albums, I, and they're the same as Scott's, it, it's clearly... Uh, forever Ben Folds 5 the debut is obviously great and then Whatever and Ever Amen is uh, is clearly the best album that they ever put out uh, for all the reasons that we've discussed already now as for my five songs it's so hard to do this Um, I guess if I'm going to pick one from Ben Folds 5 from the debut it would be Philosophy which is uh, Mm -hmm. you know it's hard to be underrated when it was a single but I almost feel like it's 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 as far as the fans are considered I suspect it's too popular to actually be given the credit credit that it deserves um from the second album we all talked about selfless cold and composed it's it's the best song that they ever did i think to me fairly clearly and i think even when i come back like four years from now after having listened to them nonstop for all that time i'll still think it is i'm going to pick a second song from whatever and ever because i think it is their best album and i'll say smoke uh which comes right after that actually it comes uh, one of one song after that because there's kate in between them but i love smoke too for the same reasons that i love uh selfless cold and composed it, it's it's them as a band and, and folds as a writer evolving into a much jazzier style and doing it was just real aplomb and darkness too the darkness behind those songs is just grabs me uh if i'm gonna pick one song from reinhold messner i'm gonna go with the with the fan favorite on that one i'm gonna pick army I think Army is just hilarious. I just think uh, it's also a much-needed lift after a whole series of very kind of somber and downbeat numbers. You know, and finally the album feels like it's taking off. And uh, you know, if I were to pick, I'm not going to make this one of my top five. But you know, if I'm going to f- you know, feature at least one song from Ben Folds' solo career, it's clearly Zach and Sarah to me, which is you know just delightful power pop it doesn't really have any deep meaning it, it, it's him in a very sunny mode uh but you know that should have been the big hit single or at least the one that they tried to turn into a bit big hit single and not rock in the suburbs um i guess the last song that i would pick will be something from um the the sound of the life of the mind and, and that'll be the last song on that album thank you for breaking my heart I really love Thank You for Breaking My Heart. I think it's, it's, it's again, folds at his most sincere. Um, that final chorus, uh, that verse where he says, you know, rain has washed the leaves away, skeletons and stars, and I'm pulling the door to and closing the blinds. So thank you for breaking my heart. Now I know what it feels like, and it hurts so badly. Tell me this will pass soon enough, no better. It's uh, a great way for them to end the album, and maybe, I guess, to end the career of the band, if this is indeed the last time we hear from Ben Folds 5. It's on a much more somber note and a much more sort of ruminative ballad note than a lot of their, you know, their hell for leather upbeat early stuff. But I, I think it's, it's just a beautiful song.
There we go. The Political Beats look at Ben Folds 5. We thank our guest, Michael Brendan Doherty, senior writer at National Review. Find him on Twitter at MichaelBD. And the new book out now and available, My Father Left Me Ireland. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Talking Ben Folds 5 on Political Beats. It's a blast. Thank you. Uh, Jeff Blair. Jeff, another fine episode. Uh, but we say that every time. So I, uh, either we're all, they're all really great or we, you know, we're, we're skewed a bit by being so close to what we're doing. I can't wait to really upset, you know, our guest when we at the end of a show yeah. say, well, thank you. Th- this episode really sucked. <laughs> it's the first time have- we're unhappy with what happened here on the program. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, we'll see you next time where we uh, cross the mighty ocean and uh, enter Charleston Bay. So that's going to be a lot of fun to do that. Find Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. My name is Scott Bertram, at Scott Bertram on Twitter. Remember to subscribe to our feed for new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to nationalreview.com. Click on podcasts, listen, enjoy, share, subscribe, and leave reviews, please, as well. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.